These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hi everyone, it's Nancy from Looped bringing you part two of my discussion with four real estate developers who helped build modern day Houston. In the last episode, Marvy Finger, Welcome Wilson Sr., Ed Wolf, and Joe Colasso talked about their backgrounds, how they got into real estate, and why they decided to build their careers in Houston, Texas. Today, you're going to hear them talk about what it's like to work with architects like Philip Johnson and Cesar Pelli. You'll hear them debate transit and discuss why the Kirby Mansion is worth saving. Before we start, I just want to let you know that Looped In will be off next week, but we will see you the first week in 2019. And just a quick plea to subscribe to Looped In on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. And if you would, please rate us or write a review on your podcast app. So with that, enjoy part two of Legends of Houston Real Estate. So if a developer can finance it, he'll build it. <laughs> and the retail is a little different. We, we don't build unless we got tenants. And we have to have tenants in order to make sense as a retail center. So whether it's a supermarket or a Walmart or a restaurant or whatever, the tenants drive the, the project and its success and its, and its reality very difficult to build and get financing for sure, a spec retail project. You might spec 25%, 30%, but you have to have 50, 60, 70% pre-leased to retailers who sign long-term leases to make it a viable project. Mm-hmm. That kind of controls the overbuilding of retail because without tenants, you don't have them. Right. And, and Mr. Wolf, when I think about your projects, I think about Meyerland Plaza and Gulfgate and Boulevard Place. Those are kind of the first that always come to mind. Did you ever consider building traditional shopping malls, or what What drew you to those projects? Well, first of all, they were all in extraordinarily good, strong locations. Meyerland at the intersection of 610 and Beechnut, Gulfgate at the intersection of I-45 and 610, Boulevard at San Philippi and Post Oak, all of them driven by superior strategic retail locations. And so that's step one. Number two, they were backed up by the demographics of a market that needed and supported and would support retail. What we did in Meyerland is we redeveloped Meyerland uh, into a 900,000 foot big box power center. Gulfgate, we tore down the old center because it just was not practical or usable or feasible and rebuilt it into a neighborhood center with big boxes to serve that market out there. And the same thing is true in each case. We had strong locations. We were serving a market that needed to be served and we were able to attract tenants that wanted to go there and we could make leases with to make it make sense. So the internet and the way people shop is changing retail and it's also changing the industrial market quite a bit. Uh, Mr. Wilson, can you talk a little bit about the industrial market and how your how your company was sort of pushed in that direction? You said once you discovered 
build to suit development, you didn't turn back and go into any of the other sectors? Well, and the reason is we'll build uh, something for a 10-year lease, 15-year mm -hmm. lease, 20-year lease. The point is you're not worried about occupancy uh, and you have plenty of times to plan uh, and if, if the tenant is not doing well, you have you have a year in advance to figure out what you're going to do with that building when he leaves. But the other thing is uh, there are two types of industrial. One is the distribution, and the other one is manufacturing. And we concentrate on manufacturing. For example... A distribution building, you can build for $45 a square foot. A manufacturing building is uh, always over $100, typically $125 to build because you have lots of cranes and high power and, uh, and so forth. The tenant who has built the exact building he wants is not going to leave. In other words, a build-a-suit, we're we're building it with the cranes exactly where he needs them. Uh, the uh, parking in the yard is, uh, is all of our buildings have a big yard, mm -hmm. and uh, that's important for storage and so forth. The that type of tenant is more likely to renew. We own today uh, like four billion square feet of space in uh, eighty-seven locations in Texas. And uh, our biggest building is worth about $50 million. And uh, we have buildings that are worth about a million dollars. So mm -hmm. it's every size. Mm -hmm. Nancy, let me interrupt you. One other sure. thing that we, we all failed to mention, which I think Marvie hit upon it, the successful projects always have, or the more successful projects, have quality of place, where the quality of the project, the amenities, the landscaping, the trees, uh, the people-friendly environment, all matter. And when those are emphasized, it ensures another level of success for the project. Mm -hmm. Th yeah, that ties into a little bit what I'm going to ask you, and that's about the architects you've worked with, some real legends, Philip Johnson, I.M. Pei, Cesar Pelli. What, what was it like to be in, in, in a room with them? Well, they, they're all different kinds of people. Yeah. Uh, uh, Philip Johnson was more on the artistic side of things. I am Pei is not only artistic, but he was very mathematical, mm -hmm. very focused on things. Uh, Cesar Pelli had a sort of a very terrific feel for colors and textures. We did the four-leaf towers in the Galleria. We had colored glass, I think perhaps for the first time, I'm not sure. But it was a revelation for me. But he was very, he's a very gentle a uh, lovely human being. So mm -hmm. there are all kinds of different uh, temperaments that you deal with. Uh, but uh, luckily for me, I was working in a team with the developer or investment builder as the head of the team. And so he was controlling that whole team, he was pushing him in different directions. And my main role was to enable the design to go forward in an economical and fairly fast construction methodology. So I'd bring these points to view, and the uh, the developer or investment builder would try to direct the design in that direction because it was good for the project. So. Mm -hmm. 
But it was the atmosphere in Houston was very creative. It was let you try to do things uh, which were not being done in any place else. From, from 1965 to, I'd say, at least 1985, this was the leading city for tall building design in the world, not, not just in anywhere in the United States. And so why did that change? Well, it, uh, by that time, other cities began to catch, catch up, and these same groups began to move around because we had a terrible real estate market in the 1980s, as Mr. Fingers pointed out. So people are going elsewhere. And so this this development that we did in Houston was now being exported mm-hmm. to other cities, but sometimes by the same people that, that developed uh, Houston. Hmm. So we found, I was then going to other cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. Midwest, and so on. So has, has anything surprised you all about the way Houston has grown since you, since you came here? I think the, my d- biggest disappointment we failed when we had the opportunity to have hard rail uh-huh. uh, in certain uh, sections of the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a great loss. Uh, you know, we're, we're confined uh, to the existing freeways, and, and we have such wide, large geographic boundaries. It does require lots of transportation to, for the logistics to move people to and from the, the employment centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that to me, uh, w- watching the growth and, and the gridlock that, it, you know, has existed and it continues to, to become uh, larger problems. And at, at this moment in time, there, there is no resolution. Uh, you know, the economics uh, are huge uh, and, and restrictive. Um, Marvin, one of, the, one of the possible resolutions five to ten years down the road is autonomous transit. You know, where you have buses that operate by themselves in particular corridors. That's the that's the wave of the future, and that's our big hope. But the one other thing I think that has changed in Houston has been the evolution and focus on green space. More parks, the Bayou Greenway Initiative. These are things that the customer, the people, the consumer will like and want, and they connect everything together. And that, that focus... On connectivity is extremely vital. It's very nice. It's a nice amenity, and that's nice for the weekends. But during the workday, the work week, uh, that has uh, that does not improve one's lifestyle. And uh, transportation just jumps to the top. And uh, I, I I like your your thoughts about the future. I, I hope that would come sooner rather than later. Uh, Nancy, I might just uh, carry on with what Mr. Finger was saying. When I moved here in the 60s, I just finished doing two rapid transit systems in Chicago, down the Dan Ryan and the Kennedy Expressways, and they were their freeways not quite as big as our Katy Freeway over here, and it was a tremendous amenity for the city. So when I first moved here, transportation was on top of my list. And I won't tell you all the bad stuff that happened, but when they decided to build rapid transit in Houston, we were teamed up with a group from New York, and we actually were designing an underground system on the Main Street. We had started all the design work. We worked for six months on that. And then for like a subway? A subway, complete subway system on the Main Street. We started doing all the utility surveys and all that work. And uh, then Mayor Brown decided to go for a referendum. And I don't think, know how whether you were here at the time or not, but these gentlemen remember 
that referendum went down by 50.5 to 49.5. It was like one percentage point. Mm -hmm. And since that time, nothing has come back up on the rapid transit system. They built a light rail, as you know. Mm -hmm. But for a city this big, um, in my judgment, you need a major transportation network. So when you don't have one and the city continues to grow, as Houston has, and is projected to grow, what does the city look like in 10 or 20 or 50 years? What's the next question? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, does it just splinter off into a bunch of different cities? What? Uh, Again, I think you'll see more HOV lanes. You'll see things like what we're doing on Post Oak Boulevard. We couldn't have light rail, but we will have autonomous busing one day. And you'll see more corridors, like to the airports, where they're basically bus lanes operated by autonomous buses, which are half the cost of rail and can make it work. That's the way we got to connect. Unfortunately, it's not working right now. Hopefully, it'll improve. Okay. All right. Um, historic preservation. How important is that for Houston? And, and I know that you've had buildings, some of which you've kept, some of which you didn't. How do you make that decision on, on what to keep? I'm working on saving one right now, the Kirby Mansion, which is, uh, you know, destined for demolition. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's news right there. How, how are you going to save it? Well, that's the problem. <laughs> that's the job. That's the assignment. Be careful. Do not commit. That's difficult. No, I, didn't. <laughs> I didn't. That's the assignment. we got to save it. Ed, I would like to jump in here. The Astrodome. Yes. I used to own, 50 years ago, I owned 10% of the Astros. I wish I owned them today. But the point is, I was around when we opened the Astrodome. I was there and so forth. Throughout the world, Texas is known for two things, the Alamo and the Astrodome. And the idea that we'd tear it down is is a terrible, terrible idea in my view. Uh, and fortunately, uh, Ed Emmett, uh, who was just defeated as county judge, he saved the Astrodome by coming up with a plan to put in parking underground with, with a bond issue. And uh, that'll bring in enough revenue because the Astrodome is right next to the NRG Center. Mm-hmm. And the NRG Center has conventions there constantly, every week. And uh, so the, the underground parking right next there, air-conditioned parking, uh, will uh, succeed in big time, in my view. And then the, on top of the parking will be a venue mm-hmm. that can be used, for example, during the rodeo f- for their wine-tasting uh, events and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I believe in uh, preservation uh, the house that I lived in on, for 30 years on River Oaks Boulevard has now been designated as a historic place. And uh, you cannot touch the ac- architecture from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I, I applaud Ed for trying to save the Kirby Mansion. John Henry Kirby was a very, very important person, a big a timber man. Mm-hmm. And Kirby Drive is named after him. When I came to Houston, by the way, Kirby Drive was a gravel road. (laughs) Gosh, it's hard to imagine. I might just add that I served on the board of the 
Historical Preservation Association of Houston for two or three years. And it has always been a challenge. Mm-hmm. And we were not, as when I was on the board, we were not dealing with historic mansions like the Kirby Mansion, but we had a lot of interesting historical uh, buildings. Some of them were churches, some of them were other kind of facilities. And it's always a challenge to preserve them. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's one of funding the land values that these gentlemen know keeps changing and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's hard. Mr. Finger, do you have anything to add to that? You said earlier, don't commit. As, as developers, we have to look at uh, the economics. And right. uh, uh, that would take great, in my opinion, great public support mm-hmm. to keep the mansion, mm-hmm. uh, which would be great. And that, that could be Ed's campaign. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I, I think uh, I don't want to say we're too late for comprehensive preservation in the city, but I think we we might be. Uh, you know, I, I think we'll do the best we can uh, when it's appropriate to save historic uh, structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hope we can. But uh, look, we're you know we're uh, west of the Mississippi. And, and we were, uh, you know, all men and, and cattlemen and uh, real estate developers, and uh, we can't let preservation get in our way. <laughs> wow. I, I was, <laughs> <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> what was that? The preserving welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm for that. I'll give you an instance of very... Uh, Good preservation. We, I worked on the downtown library many years ago, and right next door was the Julia Ideson house, mm-hmm. and we converted that as, to make it part of the library. So that, that building has been preserved it, as it part of that thing. Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. at the University of St. Thomas and on that campus, there's yep. been a lot of preservation. So there are some good are examples like of select preservation. Buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Select, select buildings. Select buildings have been done. But there are, exactly as Mr. Finger pointed out, there are certain challenges to mm-hmm. be done. All right. Well, I am going to ask you to tell me two things. What worries you about Houston's future and what you're excited about Houston right now? Who who wants to start? Uh, I'll do it. Okay. Uh, Oh, wait. uh, Marvy Finger is going to start. Yeah, he's older. Uh, Let's see. Uh, What excites me about Houston is what's always been there since, uh, and I'm a native, uh, mm-hmm. from the beginning, and that uh, I, I like our our history, our growth history. We've uh, we've gone through the, the, the floods and the hur- hurricanes. We've uh, had huge economic swings, uh, and, and we've continued uh, to recover and, and go forward, have growth. I don't think anything's going to change. I think, you know, our... Our uh, our core employment base, uh, I think, I'd still say is fossil fuel. You mm-hmm. know, the oil and gas industry, and that is cyclical. Look, when oil diminish rapidly, uh, you know, from a hundred dollars a barrel down to in the thirties, uh, you know, who thought that would recover? And that took, you know, a f- that took three years to to have a recovery, and it built up, and now it's fallen off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, because of the the huge economic uh, uh, recession due to the 
the the retreat of oil and gas, the big the the big employment base, they learned how to do it with fewer people, <laughs> and uh, so the employment growth uh, in that industry uh, is is really weak. So that bothers me uh, a lot, but. I think it's a cycle, and I'm, you know, optimistic worldwide. I can't think of, and I'm not a scientist. I can't imagine there be, being in my lifetime or my children's children's lifetime something other than fossil fuel energy. So long as there's an energy demand, it's really going to emanate. I think that the technology of it from from the city, and so I'm excited about living here. Ed Wolf, what concerns you and, and what excites you about Houston right now? Uh, what excites me most is the, the attitude, not only of the Houstonians, but the young people. The growth of the young people, their attitudes, their approach, uh, their welcoming to different concepts and new ideas and a different lifestyle. And there's no limit to what, what can come from that young mentality and energy. And I'm very, very excited about the future because of what they can do. Concerns are basically the same as always, mobility. I'm concerned and have been concerned about our ability to move people. And we've got to master that, however it, however it comes about, to get our arms around it to make it work. We've had a number of tries, and they haven't done anything. We've got to find a solution, and mobility is the issue to be focused on. Mr. Wilson? What I'm excited about is the business community of Houston has always delivered. And uh, if we can just get the businessmen and men of Houston to work together, and uh, like we have done all these years, then we, we Houston will have a very, very bright future, including solving the transportation problem. For example, I agree with Ed that that's a... a major problem in Houston, <clears throat> but the business community and the Greater Houston Partnership is key to that, in my view. It's tried to follow in the steps of Jesse Jones in the early days. Mm -hmm. When I came to Houston, there were 12 office buildings in downtown Houston. Jesse Jones owned nine of them, nine hotels in downtown Houston. Jesse Jones owned seven of them. Uh, he owned the Houston Chronicle. He owned the uh, biggest radio station. He owned the biggest bank. Je but Jesse Jones had the ability to pull the business community together, and that's what we need to do. So that's why I'm optimistic about Houston. Okay. So I, I think there's a little bit of, of concern and excitement in that answer. Uh, transportation, as we've all talked about, is still one of the big issues for me. But I would also like to uh, discuss the Hurricane Harvey and its aftermath. Mm -hmm. uh, we at the University of Houston are working on an initiative. Uh, we put together a research consortium of several universities in Texas and Louisiana and Florida. And we're trying very hard to figure out how to improve conditions in Houston under hurricane, how to improve drainage, how to improve construction of homes which are um, have been devastated by this uh, by this hurricane. The level as a, as an engineer, I find it incredible that we build tall buildings and they do very well in a hurricane, but single family homes suffer enormous amounts of damage. I think that's a 
the stain uh, on uh, on the country as a whole, also, but on our city. So if this research initiative goes forward, we're hoping to develop new standards for uh, developing uh, construction in Houston for, for single-family homes and so on, but also for the improvement of drainage. And several good ideas have been proposed, which we are uh, trying to move forward into the research phases. Yeah, so that's, that's my second concern. Okay. Well, well, we'll have to talk more offline, as they okay. say, on that, uh, on that project. Um, well, I, I thank you guys so much for, for being here. And um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, this, ask you all to answer this one very short question that we ask a lot here. Favorite building in Houston that is not your, your own? Mr. <laughs> Mr. Colasso, Joe Colasso. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's not my own. I've got so many favorites of my own. Uh, I, I think from a revolutionary standpoint, for me, the Astrodome. Astrodome. Because it was such a cutting-edge project that nobody had ever seen before. So it's, it's, uh, it's based on Bucky Fuller's uh, geodesic dome uh, type design, and Bucky Fuller was one of my heroes. So hmm. I would say the Astrodome. Ed Wolf? I, I have to agree about the Astrodome. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, as a favorite building, uh, there are lots of them, but that's its own world. That's, it's, it's its own mark. It's, there's nothing like it. And saving it is critical, and I think that's the most, in my way of thinking, the most popular building in Houston. Welcome, Wilson. I'd like to third the motion. Mm-hmm. It's the Astrodome. When we built the Astrodome, we, we had to be economical because 53% of Houstonians were convinced that the roof would cave in, <laughs> 53% by poll. So we, and this was not my project, so it qualifies for me to comment on it, but uh, every architect, we, sh- they, we shook down <laughs> <laughs> to get the lowest price possible, every uh, engineer, the contractor. We built the Astrodome for $35 million. Five years later, they built the Superdome in New Orleans for $250 million. So uh, the Astrodome is, is historic. And I'll never forget when we removed the superstructure from underneath the roof at the Astrodome. The roof came down with it. We were sweating bullets. <laughs> but anyway, they, so Astrodome is it. Marvy Finger, are you going to uh, join the rest of, of your peers here? Uh, the Astrodome is, is truly uh, uh, <laughs> is part, part of our city, and part, as, as we discussed, part of the state. But uh, I, I'm in that I've been involved in development downtown, and I've spent the last 10 years uh, there. I really like the the development that uh, uh, that Gerald Hines developed the Pennzoil building. I mm. think it is just really special, and I drive by it all the time. And often I'll just circle the block. I think it's it was brilliant. That that is my favorite too. But you said don't talk about my buildings. <laughs> yeah, Gerald, Gerald Hines himself is special, and uh, I don't have many elders left. Gerald is. Two years older than me, he's <laughs> 92. But uh, but he is so special. Uh, he is one of the great developers of the world. 
And I don't think anybody would, uh, can compete with Gerald Hines when it comes to doing things right. All right. Well, thanks again. It was really an honor to talk to you all. Come back. Come back next year. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Great to be together. <sighs> Barbie, good to see you, buddy. Welcome. Oh, welcome. Thanks. They'll call you back when you, when you turn 100. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. It's so great to be here. After you, you all.